tonight I'd like to talk about happiness. It's said that the Buddha taught one thing and one thing only. He taught suffering and the end of suffering. But that is actually not one thing. (laughs) It's suffering and it's happiness. Because the end of suffering is the happiness, the happiness that we're We seem to be searching for, seeking. He, the Buddha, distilled his teachings down into what's called the Four Noble Truths. And it's part of what makes his teachings so simple and so direct, is that he has made these lists for us. (laughs) And one of his lists are these Four Noble Truths. And it really is the essential aspect of his teachings. The first truth being that there is suffering in this life, a very important fact to wake up to, that there is suffering in this life. The second noble truth is the cause of that suffering. And the cause of that suffering is the clinging or the attachment to things. And the third noble truth is the truth of the end of suffering or freedom, nirvana, or happiness, you want to call it that. And the fourth noble truth is the way, where the Buddha maps out his way. So I want to look at what the Buddha is talking about when he talks about the end of suffering, which is happiness. But I think that the word happiness really gets misunderstood. It's actually not a very good word at all. It's, it's, it's very, very misleading because we have certain ideas of what it means to be happy. And these ideas are so conditioned and so ingrained that we, it keeps us from really looking deeper into what the Buddha was pointing to, the happiness of the Buddha. Just now, when I was thinking about or talking about messages of, of happiness that are erroneous, my mother's voice came to me, said, Darling, I just want you to be happy. You know, that mother's voice, I just want you to be happy. You know, not having any idea whatsoever what is going to bring me happiness and trying to impose all of her ideas (laughs) on what will bring me happiness and not understanding why I'm not choosing those things. (laughs) Living a certain way, living in a certain house, having certain kinds of children, uh, having money, having prestige, all the kinds of things that um, are implied in being happy living a happy life. Some of you may have seen this recent ad from the Mercedes-Benz company. You can hardly miss it. It says, um, try this simple form of meditation. This is from (laughs) Mercedes-Benz. And in, in the middle of the page, there's this orange dot. You see an orange dot and it says focus on this dot 
stare into it for a few moments, see it as a door, an opening, a vessel into which your mind is flowing. Once inside, your heartbeat begins to flow. You feel peaceful, calm, serene. You'll feel the same opening the door of an E-class Mercedes. (laughs) Perfect, you know, this is exactly (laughs) where the the media wants us to go, you know, take that serenity and that happiness and project it into the objects that are for sale (laughs) so that they can usually make more profit. Those are the kinds of messages that we get, you know, if you get a Mercedes-Benz, then you'll be really happy. Well, we might be. (laughs) We will be happy for a little while. (laughs) It's not the kind of happiness that lasts. It's not the kind of happiness that we're talking about here. The misperception or the misconception that happens is that we mix up happiness with a pleasant feeling. And we think that when we're having a pleasant feeling, then we're happy. And we try to line up enough experiences that are going to bring this consistent pleasant feeling so that then we'll be happy. And it's almost like an adolescent kind of mind, you know, the mind that goes after trying to get as many uh, pleasant experiences, as many exciting experiences lined up, you know, going to the movie and then going having a date and then um, having sex and then having a couple drininks, and you know it's like let's get it get let's get as many lined up as possible so that feeling doesn't end, that feeling doesn't come to an end. And you know whether it's um, leads us on to certain kinds of addictions that perpetuate this kind of pleasant feeling, you know whether it's drugs or alcohol or food or sex or gambling, whatever those addictions may be, to try to keep that feeling going that feeling going and we think that this in some ways is possible you know that it's an achievable goal this is huge this is this is the the misunderstanding that most people carry but we see at some point that it doesn't work you know we exhaust ourselves searching for these experiences searching for these objects, searching for things that are going to do it for us, but we see again and again that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So there's a point at which we kind of give it up. We give up that search. Because we see that that pleasant feeling is just a pleasant feeling that goes away. It's impermanent. It doesn't last. As all feelings, all things in the conditioned world, they come and go. They're temporary. They don't last. And not only is it impermanent, but it is dependent on that thing. That feeling is dependent on that condition. The arising of that pleasant feeling when we get the new car comes 
through the newness and the excitement and the uh, uh, contact with the aesthetics and the, the smells and all that, the thoughts of prestige and status, all that goes with it, but it starts to fade, as all things do. All these feelings are conditioned. All feelings are conditioned. If we have a pain in the knee, it's conditioned by certain structures, muscles, nerves, tissues in the body, and our relationship to it. If we feel happy when the sun is out, (laughs) you know, which we do, very dependent on the sun, the light, the warmth, you know, but it passes. We try to get these experiences more and more, but they don't last. Sometimes we may think that if I can just get this area of my life worked out, you know, if I could just get the right job or the right relationship or the right man or go to the right place, get the right house, whatever it is. If I could just get that one thing in order, then I'll be happy. And I remember for a long time having this kind of idea in the mind. Just just get that, this week, it's like this week, let's just get that one thing in order and everything's going to be okay. One of my teachers, Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, he has a favorite, one of my favorite uh, lines of his is, if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not one thing, it's another. He calls it a Jewish mantra. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not one thing, it's another. (laughs) But it's really true. And it's something that I've really, I really work with a lot in myself. It's not one thing, it's another. As soon as I see myself going after needing to get certain conditions set up and say, let, let me just take care of that and I can clear the space, I'll be able to relax, everything will be okay. Something else pops up. You know? It just doesn't, we can't get life in order. We can't get life the way we want it always one thing or it's another thing but we spend our lives it's like even whether it's a gross habit or a more subtle habit we tend to spend our lives in this pursuit in pursuit of the uncontrollable looking in the wrong places looking in the wrong places for our happiness this is just something from Sharon again Sharon Salzberg The basis of the Buddha's psychological teaching is that our efforts to control what is inherently uncontrollable cannot yield the security, safety, and happiness we seek. By engaging in a delusive quest for happiness, we only bring suffering upon ourselves. In our frantic search for something to quench our thirst, we overlook the water all around us and drive ourselves into exile from our own lives. And there's this quote from the Japanese Zen master, poet Haikun. Not knowing how near the truth is, 
People seek it far away. What a pity. They are like one who, in the midst of water, cries out in thirst so imploringly. But we do this, you know. It's just the habit of the mind. It's the conditioned habit of the mind. And we can see it when we come here on retreat. We, we develop what I call the meditator's ego, you know, the meditator's quest for happiness. And we transfer that grasping that usually goes on outside of the retreat into our experiences here at the retreat. And we want certain experiences here, certain experiences that we will then use as criteria to determine how our retreat went. You know, to use to evaluate how, how well uh, of a retreat we had. You know, we want certain kinds of experiences. We want calm and ease and a clear mind. We, some people still want to empty their minds of thoughts, not, not, not want to have any thoughts at all. Be relaxed, maybe even have blissful experiences. You know, energetic, blissful experiences of light and vibration and energy and ecstasy. <laughs> whatever your flavor is, whatever it is that you're, you're thinking is going to do it for you, is going to bring you that happiness. But it's just another substitution of the grasping mind looking in the wrong place looking after experiences, looking for that feeling, looking for that rush in some way. Again, this happiness, the Buddha's happiness, has nothing to do with experiences. Experiences are either pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, or somewhere in between. Those are always going to change. Experiences are always going to change. We can't hold on to them. We can't control them. We can't manage them. We find that the more we want, the more we control, we don't get the results we want, then we get more frustrated, we get more disappointed, then we want more control, more, more um, effort. And we just find ourselves in this cycle of difficulty, not seeing that we're looking in the wrong place. That's not where we're going to find it. Not in any of this transient movement of experience. So we must go deeper. We must go deeper to find out what it is that the Buddha is pointing to when he talks about freedom, he talks about happiness, talks about the end of suffering. So what is the happiness of the Buddha? What is he pointing to in the third noble truth when he says this is possible and this is available for all of us here and now? The happiness of the Buddha is when we get that it is not in experiences and we're no longer looking to our experiences for our inner peace, for our stability, for our security. When there's a moment 
when we stop, we stop the search, we stop looking, we stop the grasping, and we come to a place of rest in ourselves. The mind comes to a place of rest. But this isn't something in the distant future. It's not something that we have to wait lifetimes for. It's not something that we have to spend the rest of our lives looking for, waiting for. It can be something here and now, something that we experience in this moment. It's called a momentary freedom, a momentary freedom which gives us a glimpse, which opens the window for a moment, and we can see, we can touch, we can taste what it is that the Buddha is pointing to. This one moment, this one moment when we have the glimpse, is a moment when we're not afraid of what we see in ourselves. And we're not afraid of what we see around us. It's one moment when we allow ourselves to experience the full texture of the moment without the resistance, without the grasping, without the holding. When we just say, ah, let me just feel this. Let me just be with this. And everybody here has had this moment of experience when the mind just rests in what's happening, in what is. This is a glimpse. This is momentary freedom when the mind isn't in struggle, the mind isn't in conflict, when we don't need our experience to be different. Sometimes this may occur when we're feeling calm. It may be a moment or some moments when we're walking down the road through the woods and we feel that sense of ease in ourselves. Just the, we hear the sounds and we can smell the smells and we, we feel ourselves walking along the lane. We're very present, very connected. There's no struggle. We're not in conflict with anything in that moment. Or it may be a time when we're sitting late at night and it's just quiet, just peaceful, very little movement, and we can just rest in that, settle in that, and feel very big and expansive and very whole, very lovely. Or it may be a moment here in the hall when we just turned our attention to the birds and that's all there was just the hearing of those lovely sounds of the singing of the chattering nothing else just the hearing just the hearing no overlay no struggle no conflict with our experience in that moment or it may be a time when we're not feeling so at ease in ourselves. This glimpse into freedom, this glimpse into a moment of happiness is not dependent on this ease, on this, these moments when everything clears out. It may be a moment when we are feeling quite ill at ease with ourselves. It might be a moment when we're feeling a great deal of sorrow or despair 
or we're in a great deal of physical pain in our bodies, or it may be even a moment when we feel a lot of anger, but we're not afraid. We're not afraid in that moment, and we're not resisting in that moment, and we say, okay, let me feel this. Let me open to it. Let me see if I can feel the full texture of this experience. And in that moment, we're not in conflict with ourselves. We're not in struggle with our experience. We don't need to change it. Not even the sorrow, not even the despair, or the grief, or whatever it is that we're experiencing. And I think this gets overlooked. We do have the impression that the glimpse into freedom or the glimpse into the teachings of, of, of happiness have to do when those conditions of dis-ease or ill-at-ease come to an end. And this can be a way that we keep missing those moments because we're looking again in the wrong place. But right in the moment of anguish, right in the moment of pain, right in the moment of sorrow, can we let go into it? Feel it totally, feel it wholly, without the fear. We're already in that space of peace, that space of rest because the mind isn't moving against that experience. We've already peeled back one layer. And this is, I find, really important. I see it very much like peeling back the skins on an onion. We have to start somewhere. We have to start uh, going deeper into our experience somewhere. And if we can start peeling back that outer resistance, that fear that we feel to our difficult and fearful experiences, we're already moving to the core. We're already moving to the center. These are very important moments when those moments of resistance start to drop away. Not to think it's not enough. We can, we can evaluate our experience if we still feel the sorrow and the anger and the despair and think, it's not working. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not doing what I, it's, not, it's not doing what I thought it would do. You know? We think that all of it has to come to an end. All of the despair, all of the difficulty, all of the anguish. But it doesn't have to come to an end. We can see through right in a moment that our peace is not dependent even on the inner conditions of our being. It's not dependent even on this mind, even on this body, that there can be freedom no matter how we're feeling, how the mind is, how the body is. The conditions don't change very much. In fact, I wonder if the conditions change at all. There is suffering in this life, but our relationship changes to it. 
the way that we hold it, the way that we view it. And we're not in so much reactivity. The mind isn't struggling so much. And there's another kind of freedom. There's the freedom that is called enlightenment, that is called realizing the unconditioned, knowing the absolute. And this means that there's no more grasping onto the outer or the inner conditions. The outer conditions of our life or the inner conditions of our mind and body. (coughs) And that this lack of grasping, the end of this grasping, arises from a wisdom that knows once and for all, without a doubt, that the happiness does not lie in those conditions and one does not forget. There's no forgetting. There is the knowing so that the mind does not reach out. The grasping does not arise. It has seen through. It has seen through the fallacy, seen through the delusion of this conditioned world. For me, for such a long time in my practice, I had this question, where is the joy? Where is the joy? Where is the happiness? And I couldn't understand. I couldn't get a sense of what they were talking about, what the teachers were talking about. Because for so long and for so many years, I didn't feel any joy. And I kept asking myself, and it was almost like a koan, where is the joy? Where is the joy? Where is the joy that the Buddha talks about, that the teachers talk about, that other people say they experience? Where is it? And particularly in this tradition, where there's no ritual, there's very little chanting for the most part, especially in the West, There's no dancing, like in the Sufi tradition. (laughs) There's no singing, like in some of the other spiritual traditions. There's no ecstatic experiences, like in the Hindu traditions, (laughs) when you sit in front of your guru and you sit at their feet and the mind kind of gets blasted or, you know, a guru takes and waves a feather on your third eye and, you know, you go (laughs) into... You know, this is a very, uh, this is very dry. <laughs> we call this the no frills tradition. You know, the no frills flight. We just kind of sit and walk <laughs> and sit and walk <laughs> and sit and walk. <laughs> and it can feel very somber or very <laughs> empty hollow in many ways. And we can see, wonder, where is the joy? Where is the happiness? And as the years went on, 
as the years went on and I was reflecting on this question, reflecting on this question, I finally got that I was looking for certain experiences to give rise to my joy. I was looking to the outer conditions around me, to the way that a retreat was running or what kinds of things I was doing on a Saturday night or what kind of friends I had around me or how deep I went into my meditation. I was still looking for experiences so that I could have that feeling, so that I could feel a certain way in myself. I could feel a certain blissful feeling, a certain kind of sensation that would kind of flutter inside of me and I could say, yeah, that's the joy. Now I'm feeling joy. Now I'm touching joy. But I really thought that that's just another movement towards experience, in this case towards an inner experience. And that's not it. And as I deepened into that knowing and deepened into that understanding, there was the joy. Because the mind stopped moving. The mind stopped moving to those outer experiences, to those inner experiences as the key, as the way. And in that resting, in that stopping, was the joy, was the peace, was the cooling, the coolness, the cool waters that we wish for, that we seek for, that cool drink of water that quenches the thirst. And as I deepened into that knowing that it's not out there and it's not in here in certain experiences that I'm going to have, then there was more trust in this mystery, in this unfolding of this incredible process that's happening all by itself. That I'm not doing, I'm not involved in, It's just happening. Sights and sounds and birds and colors and earth and people and situations and experiences just coming and going, coming and going. How is it happening? Where is it coming from? And deepening into that trust, deepening into that letting go, deepening into that natural unfolding, there's joy, there's relief, there's peace, the end of the struggle, the end of the conflict. This is from um, one of the lamas called the Vajra Song. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already there in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do. 
whatever arises in the mind has no importance at all because it has no reality whatsoever. Don't become attached to it. Don't pass judgment. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back, without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a rainbow which you run after without ever catching it. Although it does exist, although it does not exist, it has always been there and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like rainbows. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Don't go into the inextricable jungle looking for the elephant who is already quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want, and everything happens by itself. Everything happens by itself. (laughs) The more we're able to let go of our grasping, out of our desperate search for some kind of security, we find the lasting security. We find the ultimate refuge. And in that, we don't have to give up anything, which is a wonderful paradox. In the letting go, we don't have to give up anything. Then we can play with all of these forms play with all of the changing forms as they appear and as they disappear. Everything is ours. This is from a a girl Eskimo, Uvavnuk, in the mid-19th century. The great sea has set me in motion, set me adrift, moving me like a weed in a river. The sky and the strong wind have moved the spirit inside me till I am carried away trembling with joy. The great sea has set me in motion, set me adrift, moving me like a weed in a river. The sky and the strong wind have moved the spirit inside me till I am carried away, trembling with joy.
Let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.